0: Welcome back to the show, the second hour of Canucks Hour. We are the plural here for the next couple of weeks, getting you set for the NHL entry draft and NHL free agency next week as well. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance playing hurt today, fighting through a bit of a voice issue, but he's doing a great job grinding it out. Of course, you can read Drancer's coverage of the Canucks at the Athletic as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight, build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. I want to talk about how the Canucks draft board might be shaping up, how the draft might unfold as a whole, uh, Drancer, but I did want to read this text from Brian in Richmond, and I asked people to to hit us up. What do they think will happen with the Canucks today? What do they want to happen with the Canucks today? And Brian from Richmond says, uh, sometimes no deal is the best deal. The Canucks won't trade JT. They will pick 15th overall. They'll make a smaller trade for a second round pick. It's better to keep a valuable player than get ripped off just to say that they made a trade. And uh, that's a very kind of sober, um, cautious take from Brian. But I also think if you are going to handicap it just for what will happen today, no JT trade and the Canucks pick at 15th overall, that's probably a pretty smart bet from Brian as well.
1: I would I would handicap that as the chalk outcome. Right? Like that's the most likely outcome if we were um pricing it out <laughs> from the perspective of of the betting markets. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, so I want to shift really quickly to what from what could happen to what should happen. I don't think today is any kind of deadline. But I do think if the club really does hold on to JT Miller beyond something like July 15th, I think that will be uh, a move that puts them in a tough spot. Like, I think that will lead to the club painting themselves into a corner. Um, and and so, you know, in my view, in my view it would be reckless to get there without an extension done or the framework on an extension done a la Bo Horvat, right? Um, and of course I reported today with Dollywall at The Athletic that you know the the horvat thing well while i'm still hearing exceptionally positive things about it i do think that the actual hammering out structure and papering of the deal will kind of wait for this next week to unfold before before they really get down to brass tacks and get that deal done at some point this summer but with miller i i i just feel like there's no upside at this juncture to holding him beyond the nhl silly season like All it does is, you know, sort of defer in a complicated way a decision that still has to come down one way or another. And over the course of that process, the club's leverage will diminish. JT Miller's will increase. And I think the risk that the club takes on is far higher. There's no world either where JT Miller's value increases as a result of that process. So for me and i've been saying this for a long time the proact like a proactive outcome a proactive approach is crucial to the club's credit they've taken that approach right they've they've tried again on contract talks this week they've clearly been working the phones seeing what they can scare up i'm not advocating for the club to not hold firm and do everything they can to get the best possible offer so much as you know there's a level of risk that the team takes on if they hang on to miller beyond You know, the next 10 days for sure. And I think we have to be mindful of that in sort of breaking down what their options are and what we expect of them over the next 48 hours. Well,
0: and I hear your point about, you know, the next 48 hours aren't actually a hard deadline. I understand that. And maybe I'm just overrating the degree to which you know the the trade is the ultimate deal time. And you know, I know Steve Eisenman had the quote like, "Look, it's not like we just wander around and you know open up a, a raincoat and offer offer trades to each other. It's not exactly how it works." That's so an maybe,
1: amazing quote, by the way. It's
0: so good. It was such a fantastic quote uh, from Steve Eisenman. Maybe I'm overrating the importance of the draft in getting deals done, but I, I would be a little bit concerned, as you said, if there's if you're not close at all in a framework for an extension and you leave the draft. Without a deal, I just start to worry that from other teams' perspective, those the momentum towards a trade start to fade a little bit, right? They turn their eyes toward free agency. Okay, well, hey, we we took our shot at JT Miller, it didn't happen. Now let's look at other avenues that we can use to improve our team. And again, it's not an impossibility, obviously, that a deal could get done after the draft, but before free agency. But you know, the 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 cliche is strike while the iron is hot, and it just feels like the iron is hot right now at the draft, before free agency, before teams turn their mind to the other options that could be out there. It, again, and it doesn't mean, you know, take whatever you can get right now, but I would have a little bit of concern. Just do you, even if you let it go past tomorrow, does your, does your leverage and does your ability to get that best deal start to diminish basically at that point? I don't think so.
1: I still think you have time, and part of it is... Like, you're talking about teams turning their eyes to other options, right? But you have to remember that from every team's perspective, their eyes are always on uh, other options, right? JT Miller is just, you know, arguably the best and most efficient for one year of those options. But if you're a team like... Oh, my goodness. If you're a team like New Jersey, right, for example... Let's go! If you're a team like New Jersey, for example, do you have your eyes focused on JT Miller right now? Or... Are you thinking, hey, with zero acquisition cost, we can bid on a different 100-point player who was all, who also hails from this area in Johnny Gaudreau in six days, right? In six days. Um, you know, as unrestricted free agents begin to sign, as we get into the silly season, as people look at and price out what a cop or a cadre or a trocheck cost on the open market versus Miller being 5.25 for next year. For me, that could all impact Miller's market value in a trade, which is why, you know, I sort of put the pressure on the Canucks a little further afield than today or tomorrow or at the draft. For me, you know, sometimes we see, for example, free agency unfolds and then a team that didn't quite get what they want or Mm -hmm. that saw the options and didn't want to pay that price tag then we see those teams maybe get interested again or uh, come to the Canucks with a a deal that more closely matches what Vancouver is looking for. And so I I think, and we've seen this play out before, like I remember the Jason Spezza deal, which happened, I think it was the day after, unrestricted free agency, like the market opened and he got dealt the next day. I think about Luke Shen for James Van Riemsdyk happening just as day two of the NHL draft ended. Like, I remember getting to a bar in Pittsburgh with a bunch of Toronto writers. Everyone checks Twitter and is like, bye, bye, we have to go. And their voices crack cracked, too. Uh, <laughs> really good Im- impression by me. Um, so, you know, I don't view this next 24, 36 hours as, like, go time, crunch time. But I view the next seven days as crunch time for sure.
0: The other interesting factor with free agency is and I, I honestly don't know which way this cuts and who this ultimately helps, but you know, we've talked so much about what the comparisons for JT Miller's extension look like. And you know, if, if Nazem Qadri and Ryan Strom sign on day one, what is that what what do those new comps do for JT Miller, right? And does that what what direction does that push his deal and how does that change the leverage? How does how does that change what he's looking for? How does that change what other teams are are willing to give him or think an extension is going to cost? And again, I don't know. Look, I'm not saying that would uh, lessen the the return the Canucks would get, increase it. I honestly don't know, but it's another wrinkle that becomes a factor if you do let it go to, you know, day one, day two, day three of free agency. Uh, this text came in from uh, Denis from Langley. Uh, he says they keep preaching patients. I wonder if they're trying to wait out the Rangers who we all know want him most. They don't have many other options. Maybe once they see what happens with the centers in free agency, they get desperate and pony up. And that, that, that kind of speaks to what you were saying as well, right? Sometimes the teams that strike out in free agency, all of a sudden they, they do our favorite thing. They circle back. Uh, and maybe they're willing <laughs> to, uh, they're, they're willing well, to up their offer a little bit.
1: Here's the problem. If your plan rests on New York striking out in free agency, it's a bad plan because New York gets who they want, right? Like, the Rangers get who they want, typically speaking. People want to play on Broadway. That organization takes care of guys at a, at a almost incomparable level. So, you know, New York is not a team that I would be wanting to have a lengthy staring contest through the 14th with. Because right? I think they'll get a guy that they want. Like, I really do. But... For New York, I do think the Miller price point next season in particular makes him extra appealing. Like, there is a window. Now, I I say this with sort of uh, a little bit of skepticism because we all know I'm not a huge Rangers guy, right? Like, I don't really believe that this team is as close as they probably think they are. But if you're the Rangers, you've got a ton of guys who are relatively affordable next season who are then going to become really expensive. Like Philip, uh, Heedle is one of them. Alexis Lafreniere is one of them. That's a pretty crucial one, right? You've got K Andre Miller. What does K Andre Miller's next deal look like? Like, my goodness, that's a really complicated second contract. Um, and you have still got your cheap, but it's like, this is one of those. and, And we are used to these in Vancouver too. This is one of those like very intriguing, Windows where the Rangers can potentially benefit from having a, a top four defenseman, potentially a high end goal scorer and certainly a third line for uh, center, a guy who I think can play higher up the lineup than that in Hedel. um, you know, all sort of combining to make about three and a half, three point seven five million as a group. Is it worth adding, you know, a high end first line guy like Miller at 5.25 to maximize that window if you're this team, right? Is that a worthwhile consideration for the Rangers? And is it worth paying for? That's sort of the big question for me. I wouldn't be waiting the Rangers out. I'd be leaning on the efficiency that Miller offers in year one versus signing Ryan Strom as UFA, signing Andrew Copp as a UFA or chasing a, a Malkin Trocheck type on the unrestricted free agency market. Like the, the reason that Miller in particular makes sense for the Rangers in my view is that there's a, a marginal benefit, a huge sort of benefit here from the Rangers getting a guy who in particular is efficient next year at the exact same time as one of their best goal scorers, one of their best top four defensemen and an additional Really good middle six center.
0: It's a good point about Strom, because it's easy to say, well, hey, they can just re-sign Ryan Strom, and you don't have to give up a package in order to get him, and going but he'll forward- he'll cost more than Miller. Yes. Next year, he will actually and cost more. he's not as good. Next year, he will cost more, and he's and not, he's as, not good. as good. Now, he'll cost less in the long term, yeah. right? But the, it's a good point to make about specifically next year. If you're just focused on increasing your efficiency, your contract efficiency, getting value from that position, you're getting a ton more value from JT Miller than you are from the in-house option- Uh, In Ryan Strom, Uh, this text comes in Colin in Salmon Arm. Uh, He says, do the Canucks not want a pick for tonight's draft in return for Miller? Wouldn't waiting until free agency be be disadvantageous to building the team for the long haul? And of course, the Rangers don't have a first round pick in tonight's draft. I I mean, I'm sure the Canucks wouldn't be opposed to acquiring another one, but I think the desire for a first round pick can be outweighed and outbid by the quality of other assets coming back in a potential deal as well.
1: Well, we've also already seen in a previous Canucks New York Rangers trade, right? That the Canucks prefer 2023 draft picks. Like literally that, that concept was already illustrated for us in the Tyler Mott deal. Right? So, you know, I, for me, anyway, I don't think you worry about that at all. If you get a 2023 pick, there's a whole host of reasons to prefer that, in my view. Uh, the fact that the Rangers don't have a first-rounder this year, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, <laughs> in my it view. means you're of getting that, the
0: 2023, if, if it's in there, yeah.
1: <laughs> of that particular trade partner. So, And and then one last factor to be aware of here. And again, this is one of those where like, I'm explaining how the team thinks, but I actually disagree with it draft picks to this club are not their primary target their primary target are younger players and so i think that's where we're i think that's where we're at i don't think the rangers overall draft pick positioning is a negative at all in fact it might enhance the attractiveness of them as a potential partner from
0: vancouver's perspective uh and just one other note on that i believe the rangers do have a second round pick which the canucks currently do not. So yeah, I don't think the the Rangers distribution of draft picks would be ultimately a, a roadblock to getting a deal done. But hey, this is this is very speculative at the moment. We're not saying anything's imminent. We're not uh, we're not trying to lead you down the wrong path. There. Uh, look, well, I, I can pretty much guarantee Just Gabin. Just Gabin <laughs> about the fit. We're just Gabin. That's right. Trying trying to feed the seagulls. That should be the new name of the show, Drancer. Just Gabin. I do have a question for Drancer. <laughs> a texter brought it up earlier. Drancer, if you ask nicely, do you think the Canucks would let you announce the first overall draft pick? Zero percent <laughs> chance. You don't think there's a chance at all? I
1: don't think there's a chance at all. I, I You know, oh, I'm, me I'm very... I'm sorry, man. I'm very interested to see... Who makes this pick, though, from Vancouver's perspective? Because you do have a new management group. Yeah. And oftentimes you do sort of shift it about. Uh, Typically speaking, the people on the stage represent ownership. So I would expect at least one ownership representative on the stage. Uh, Typically, you get head coach, area scout, director of amateur scouting, general manager. And and in, in this in the Canucks' case, I'd expect also president of hockey operations. So that's who I'd expect to be lined up with whoever the Canucks take fifteenth overall with um, you know, in terms of the photo from the draft floor. As for who announces the pick, I sort of wonder like, would Emily Castongay get to do it in her hometown? Or, you know, this is a pretty big moment for Patrick Alvine. Patrick Alvine got his first job in hockey operations. As a amateur scout with the Montreal Canadiens, right? He's worked the draft now for 20 years, and this is his first shot doing it at the head of a hockey operations department as the general manager. Um, I'd imagine, I'd imagine it's Alvin that makes the pick, considering all of those sort of factors. But right now, we're basically having like the boardroom equivalent of who gets the cup after the captain. <laughs> <laughs> right, like that's basically where we're at. There's a couple of cases to be made for various personnel, though. Right, I think gay has a has a really good case. I think Alvine has a really good case. I'd expect it to be one of those two.
0: Well, um, there there are no odds for this on PlayNow.com. But if I if there were, if I was handicapping it, I would have Alvine as the favorite. Because, as you said, new general manager, big moment, making his first pick as a general manager. That would be my bet. But, as you said, a a few interesting candidates. Speaking of the draft, yeah, it's interesting to talk about who will be announcing it. But also interesting, who will they be announcing as the Canucks pick if they do stick at 15th overall? You mentioned a couple of names that they're hoping, you know, fingers crossed against all odds, might fall to them. And just kind of taking a big picture view before we dive into the Canucks specifics of it. What's the sense around Montreal right now of how kind of chalky and by the book or not this first round could be? Because you look at the top, and obviously there's the big debate at number one, and I feel like we know or have a very good idea of who is going to go in the first, maybe five or six picks, not necessarily what order, but the names that are going to be in there. But after that, once you start getting you know, from seven to 25 or seven even through the rest of the first round... It does feel pretty wide open in terms of order, uh, to me, after that point, Drance.
1: Well, and I mean, right at the top, people are still wondering if it's going to be right or Slavkovsky. I, I think it should be right. by the way. I, I think there's a, you know, I, for me anyway, there's a genus of player that gets over-scouted. And in Wright's case, you know, people have focused. He didn't have a great season, But he's had great seasons in the past. It's just that he didn't sort of level up this past season. So I think scouts were going to those games, those OHL games, looking for this moment where he takes over and looks like, you know, oh, wow, knocks your socks off. No doubt he's number one. And I think there weren't enough of those moments. And yet on a routine player shift, he'd make four or five other plays that, you know, if it had been a guy without that pedigree, right, you would have been like, "That's my guy. Let's trade up and get him." Well, like, yeah, this happens. This happens to those assertive two-way guys who maybe don't have quite the level of dynamic offensive upside that some of the past first overalls, guys like McDavid and McKinnon and Tavares and Stamkos, have.
0: You know, if he hadn't been the kind of presumptive number one guy all along, and he's you know a right-shot center who puts up ninety-four points in sixty-three games in the OHL in his draft year, and projects. As a really, really dependable, you know, valuable two-way player, like, yeah, he'll, he'll, he's going to be the first overall pick. That's the profile of a first overall pick. If you don't spend, you know, years before that kind of scouting and picking him apart and, you know, how he missed a year of development in there as well, so it makes it really complex. I think he should be the first overall pick. I, I ultimately think he will be. And just the odds at, uh, at playnow.com, they have him as minus 300 to be the first overall pick. So a favorite, not an overwhelming favorite necessarily. And they have Slavkovsky at plus 125. But that's where the odds stand right now. And and I, w- I would go chalk at the top and, and pick Shane Wright. But after, again, that kind of five or six range, what's your sense of, of how wide open it could be?
1: Well, but I think there could be a surprise in that five to six. All right, let's go. I I really think we could see a guy jump up and be selected. Like, uh, there's a couple big centermen in Cutter, Goche, and Marco Casper that I think could potentially, you know, bust up the right Slavkovsky, Cooley, Nemich, Juricic consensus. I really do. I think one of those guys could be... In that in in the mix to go ahead of one of those five players, probably not Slavkovsky, right? But that next three, I think there's a Casper. There's a, there's a world anyway where a Casper or a um, who was the other guy Cutter Goche. I don't know why or Cutter Goche goes ahead of one of those guys. So I think almost right from the hop, like right at the top, there's some speculation, right? And and then I think right after that, there's more uncertainty, and then the amount of divergence between various teams' lists are all over the map. Like, completely all over the place. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch that all play out. Again, from a Canucks perspective, the guys I'm hearing, they like a lot. And will be hoping they're... Um, hoping slip to them. For me, Casper and Mackey are the guys to watch most closely. There's also a couple guys who the Canucks have been linked to through various mock drafts, reliable mock drafts over the course of the past few weeks that I think are a little further down their list, uh, far enough down their list that it's not that they're not high on them. They're still high on them. It's not that anyone mocking them, taking these guys are wrong so much as I just think they're not quite high enough um, to be at the top of the Canucks board when, when the 15th overall pick comes around and that's, and that's Nathan Gosher, the big centerman out of the QMJHL and Leon Bichel, who a lot of people in the industry have connected to the Canucks. I think I even took him in a, in a mock draft at the athletic at one point over the course of this process, mostly because, you know, he plays for Lexans and that's Alvin's uh, club team over in Sweden. People just sort of connected the dots there. I, I think the Canucks like him. I just don't think they like him enough that he's going to be on the top of their board at 15. And so that leaves us with a trio of sort of sweet spot guys. And, you know, I included Pavel Minchukov in that list at the Athletic in our Athletic piece, but that's, that's more Rick's intel than mine. You All know, right. like sometimes we work together and he's like, no, you got to trust me. And I always do. I always trust Dolly. Well, he's a good colleague, but I, I'm not sure about the Minchukov thing. I don't have a great sense of, of how the Canucks rate him. And so, but a lot of people around the industry believe they're really high on him. Rick in particular slamming the table. Canucks love him. so okay, uh, I, I have to go with that. The guys I'm most looking at though are Ogren and Ostland, a pair of teammates with uh, Jugartens over in, uh, over in Sweden. They're also teammates with Jonathan Leckermaki, pretty pretty interesting young team over there. And you know Ustland's the centerman, a little bit a little bit more speed. Ogren's sort of a powerful forward a uh, little bit more offensive touch, little little higher upside. I probably like Ugren better based on um, mostly mostly the opinions of, of people that I really trust as talent evaluators. I think there's real concern, though, that, that even Usland could be gone by the time the Canucks pick 15th, that there could be such a premium placed on centerman in the top 14 picks that they don't even get a shot to make that decision. So we'll see how it all plays out but those two Swedes are the guys that I'm watching. And I don't know if you saw this, but following some of my reporting this week, our friends at play now actually priced these guys out. Oh yeah. And added them onto the board. I had the, I, I had like the Woj effect on, uh, on the play <laughs> now board, which was, uh, you know, a very exciting moment for your guy, Jamie. Well, and I, I mean, uh, we haven't they're, they're they're at, they're at five and a half to one odds. Both, both of those, uh, both Usland and Ergren, are five and a half to one to be the connect selection, at, uh, courtesy our friends at play now.
0: So, the latest odds I'm looking at here, and I, I'm uh, in the different format, but they have Minchukov at plus 300. And they actually took the odds down for a little bit, Dranser, and they, they put them up uh, earlier today again. So, they have Minchukov at plus 300, uh, Ogrin at plus 350, Marco Casper at plus, plus 400, and then Noah Ostland at plus 450. Those are the top four in terms of uh per playnow.com right now in terms of who will the Canucks select fifteenth overall and the update. Yeah, that's that's the update. So interesting, right? And and you know, Marco Casper, the the reason he's below the other guys is just the unlikelihood that he falls, probably at this point. But Minshukov and Ogren are number one and two and uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily vouch for this gambling advice, but if I was a gambling man, a little sprinkle on both of them, and if either one of them hits, you would still be in the black, eh, it's kind of an interesting option. But there are your odds, courtesy of playnow.com, about uh, who the Canucks will select 15th overall, Minchukov 300, Ogren. Plus 350. We will get more into the NHL draft, plus some of the news, notes, rumors around the league uh, with the Athletics' Sean Gentili. That's coming up next. It is the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. One time is all you need in this house. So drop it back to the point for Hughes now for Miller into the slot. Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, final segment of a special mega sized edition of the show. Jamie Dodd. And Thomas Drantz here with you. Yeah, do not adjust your radio or your your podcast player, your 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 device audio. Uh, Drantz is just fighting through a bit of a voice issue in, in, from Montreal, but he's doing a, a bang up job of persevering through it. Uh, programming am no. am I doing
1: that bad am I doing that bad that people would be adjusting I don't know I've just <laughs> always be adjusting I, I've, I've never audio? had the
0: chance to say that before and I was just like yeah this is a good, <laughs> this is a good opportunity to do it
1: my goodness a it good... made me feel like the Sopranos finale <laughs> <laughs> everyone checking to see if their power died did my cable just die what's going on <laughs> what happened
0: no, no, no. no. Like that. Yeah, I just thought you know, anytime you yeah. can get an old broadcasting uh, bromide, like don't adjust your set or whatever, in, you you gotta you gotta spring Fair to enough. do it. Uh, programming note: sure. Before we get to uh, Sean Gentili, who's going to join us momentarily here. Uh, Obviously, you can hear live coverage of the NHL draft tonight on Canucks Central with Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio. And then tomorrow morning as well, when the draft gets going again at 8 a.m. Pacific time here, Halford and Braff will have the first hour. And then myself, Dan Riccio, and Satyar Shah will take you from 9 to 1. And uh, we'll give your voice a bit of a rest. You won't be a full-time part of the show, Drancer, but we will probably hit you up once or twice in that window for some insight and some conversation. Uh, All right. Joining the conversation now, he covers the NHL for The Athletic, also a part of the Puck Soup podcast. He is Sean Gentili. Sean, thanks very much for doing this. How's it going?
2: How we doing, Dranser? It's been a very long time. Glad to finally reconnect with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gentilly and I, of course, were out last night. Yes, and I was that's why say, my voice is doing uh, so well.
0: I uh, him. Dranser, uh, texted me, "Hey, about Gentilly," and uh, that was pretty much what I thought the uh, the providence of the suggestion was. Hey, we're out. You want to do the show
2: <laughs> tomorrow? Yeah, it was that. It was it was it was that simple. Two thirty. <laughs> we're, we're we're good to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, so we'll we'll go around the NHL with you, Sean. But I know you're you're always locked in, especially on what's going on with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they made some news today, announcing Chris Letang has signed a six year, thirty six point six million dollar deal to remain with the team. You know the way the way they phrased it was he's going to be a Penguin for life. What was your reaction to the Letang extension in Pittsburgh?
2: I think that's the right move for the team. That's for sure. Like I, the whole time, like throughout the whole process. I thought it was going to be a little bit, the deal would end up being a little bit shorter and a decent chunk more expensive. So, yeah, you know, you're going to have uh, 40, 41-year-old Chris Letang down the line, but to have him locked in with that mm-hmm. roster they have and, you know, with the obvious attempt that they've made to, you know, stay relevant and keep chasing cuffs, I think having him, you know, 35 or not, locked in at 6.1 for the next few years, that's a that's a win for them. Leaves them. Leaves them more money to... Throw at Malkin if that's what they want, or or improve the roster else, elsewhere. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a good move for Pittsburgh.
0: Well, and I, I mean, I think that's the first question in terms of what's next for the Penguins. That comes to a lot of people's mind is okay. What does this mean for uh, Evgeny Malkin, who's also a free agent? Does it make it it more likely in your eyes that he returns to the Penguins as well?
2: I mean, I think you can kind of see the framework for whatever deal he ends up signing. Like he's not going to get six years. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Like the six year deal was for Chris Letang, right? Because he's a right shot defenseman and he's a fitness freak and he has his game profiles to age, you know, fairly well, even though, as you said, he's going to be 41 by the time it's all said and done. So that, that deal is, it was for him specifically. It still feels like if they get something done with Malkin, you know, I think a 6.1 million cap hit sounds about right, but the length isn't going to be there. So they have the option they have some added flexibility because I, I really do think everybody was anticipating, you know, from the outside at least, uh, for Latang to be somewhere up in the sevens, if not if if not the eights, so they do have some money to work with. It's just a matter of whether you know they want to allot that to to and I think that's I think that's kind of the outstanding question right now.
1: Does the logic of the Latang deal almost require them to retain Malkin? A, I mean, you know, yeah. Leave it there. Yeah,
2: that's a that's that's a great question. I think I think I think that's the big one
1: because the internal
2: logic of the LeTang deal is that, you know, look, it's getting like, there's going to be a rebuild at some point. Sidney Crosby's current deal runs out after three more seasons. But like, you could see, that's what the original thought was, right? Where right. I think they were trying, they were trying to sign Latang for three years. They were, they were, tr- you know, potentially going to go to, go to Malkin for three years. That way you have those guys clocks, you know, running out at the same time as, uh, you know, as Crosby's current deal. So, the logic makes sense. I, I, they're in a tough spot, though, right? Because it's like, yeah, like, 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 what? Do you, like the the best way to try to win Stanley Cups in the tw- you know in the twilight of Sidney Crosby's prime here is to load up with guys like with guys like Malkin and Latang. It's far from foolproof. It's certainly risky because you're going to be dedicating a lot of money to guys who are who are on the wrong side of 35, right? But I think as you know, it, as a logic exercise, I I, I think it works. Yeah.
1: Does this deal tell us anything? And we so often talk about GMs in the context of hockey moves. But Pittsburgh, this organization, is now operated by this Fenway Sports Group. And so while we don't have a ton of track record to analyze in terms of what they've done in the NHL, like we kind of know how they do business in the EPL and and in MLB, right? Does this move tell us anything about how they're going to function at the helm of the Pittsburgh Penguins?
2: It's stardom for a price. I think that's the. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Based on EPL stuff, based on how they, on how they, on how they run the Red Sox, like they're they're willing to pay for brand name players, right? But there's a number that they're that they're not going to be comfortable going past, and that's what we saw. I mean, not to get too far into baseball stuff, but it's what we saw with Mookie Betts in Boston, right? It's not that it's not that they. It's, it's not that they didn't want to spend the money because their payroll, you know, the the Red Sox payroll is enormous. It was that they didn't want to give that particular deal to that particular player and have it kick them up over into like luxury tax hell. Right. So, so they're willing to spend money and they're willing to spend money on brand name guys, but there is a framework, there is a desire to kind of to to cap it out. So, yeah, I, I think this is in line with what we've seen from them, whether it's EPL, whether it's MLB, you know, I, I think this. You know, and, and but by the way, Ron, Ron Hexel had had a lot to do with it. I, I don't know. I don't of know course. how much. I don't know how much Fenway Sports is exerting. You know, in terms of actual day to day, you know, cap management type stuff, and on, on this franchise yet. But but it is in line with, you know, their overall ethos as, a, as as an ownership group for sure.
0: And the other name from Pittsburgh that I wanted to throw by you, Sean, and it's come up a lot here in Vancouver because of the connections with Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvine and the Canucks needs on the right side of defense is John Marino. And, you know, on the one hand, you're bringing a, another uh, right-handed defender back long-term in Chris Letang, but you're also doing that because you want to load up and and make sure you're competitive in the final years of Sidney Crosby's deal as well. What's your just overall sense of the appetite or lack of appetite for the team to potentially try to move Marino this summer? I
2: still think so much. Uh, it's much more of a priority for that team to clear out the logjam that they have on the left side because if you, I mean, and it's like not, not to put Marino in the same breath as Chris Letang, like that'd be crazy, but it's the same sort of issue where it's like, if you trade away John Marino on, on your right side, you have to replace John Marino. And we know what the right side market looks like, right? We know the cost that you pay for those players, whether it's by trade or, or, or in free agency, replacing John Marino for $4 million, even if you trade, you know, whether you trade him or what, you know, that's, that's a, that's a tough exercise. So I think it's a lot more likely when you look at the left side, you know, where they have Marcus Pedersen, who's a who's a decent player on on a decent deal, you know, at, where he's he and where you have Brian Dumoulin, who's you know a kind of a name a name brand guy. He's a cup he's a cup winner. He's signed to a re, to a reasonable deal. He's up over four for a couple more years, you know. But he he you know, it was a he's coming off of, off a weird year where where he looked like he might have been past. I think it's much more of a priority for them to move one of those guys move one of their prospects into the in, in, in on the left side and just kind of kind of hold on on Marino cuz yeah it, it it just it just doesn't feel like you know, he just doesn't feel like he's a replaceable guy, whereas they got a, they have a ready-made, a ready-made prospect on on the left side ready to step in.
0: It's Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. We're in conversation with Sean Gentile, who covers the NHL for The Athletic. And, Sean, it'll really shock you to hear that uh, Drance and I spend a lot of our time on the show talking about JT Miller and, and the situation with <laughs> JT Miller and the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, we've heard some names of teams that are maybe interested. And, you know, talks are quiet right now, but, yeah, teams are interested in their talking as well. From your perspective, which team should be the most motivated right now to try to get a deal done for JT Miller?
2: I, I want the devil to acquire everybody. Like I <laughs> I just want I want I want New Jersey to like assemble some some like, you know, some like megazord of of like all the best all the best like all the best guys that are on the market right now. Trade trade for JT, find a way to bring in brink it. like just just like, you know, stock up, load up, load up with Hughes and and, and, and share and, and let it roll. So I, I think, I, I think, I think the devils make a ton of sense because they make a ton of sense for everybody. They're the mover. They're the mover, right? Like they're, they're the team, whether it's the Brinkett, whether it's Miller, like something is going to happen with them in that pick because you know, they, they have, they have cap space now. Uh, and they're going to have even more down the road. That's the really interesting thing about, about the devils is the only guys they have on the books are stars. It's Hughes, it's t it's 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 Dougie Hamilton. Like they have, they have core pieces locked up, you know, long term. And now, and then next year, especially, they have they have a whole lot of space. So yeah, they're 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 the interesting ones. Something's going to happen, whether whether it's JT or or someone else there.
1: What's your sense here, Sean, about just the overall forward market because it was so soft at the trade yeah. deadline, right? I mean. Andrew Cobb's the only guy that goes for a first, really. Like it was so soft. Now you've got this strong UFA class, and Mm -hmm. guys like DeBrinket and Miller potentially available via trade. Um, How do you think? How do you think teams considering their options would value? You know, paying a fair bit for a DeBrinket Mm -hmm. or a Miller, considering the options that'll be available to them in just six days.
2: I think this is where the, where the schedule makes stuff so much more interesting, right? Where like, we're gonna, we're gonna know, I guess if if, if it were flipped, if UFA started be- before the draft, you couldn't like in your team who was like, you know, maybe, maybe hoping to bring in Philip Forsberg, let's say like, you would know, you would know that he was gone. And, and then, and then, a, you, you know, you could, you could, you could buy Miller, you could buy to you could be in that. You know, in that trade market, in, in in a way, you wouldn't have been otherwise. But as, as it stands, like yeah, with the, with the way it's going to shake out, it's it, it it makes you wonder. You know, yeah, it, it makes you wonder how stuff is going to go like over over the next couple of days. Absolutely, because you know, do you do you risk missing out on on one of the UFAs and, just, and then pull the trigger and pay pay prime prime assets and prime cap space for Miller or it or whatever? It, it is. It's, it's fascinating.
1: With like, what are you expecting in terms of a level of activity? Because it's been pretty quiet. When when the biggest trade in the week of the draft is Georgiev, right? I think it's fair to say that it's right. been dead quiet to this point. What are you expecting from the next 12 hours?
2: It seems like the brinket's going to be the big piece. We got we got with Shansky reporting that, you know, maybe this, this, the second overall pick might not be enough to to, to get the brinket away from, from the Blackhawks, which suggests that, you know, The market for that dude is 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 pretty robust so I'm that's that's the one he's the guy who I'm who I'm watching most closely and he's the guy who seems like he's gonna move right I I think I think Chicago knows that it makes a whole lot of sense to move that guy now depressing as it sounds because everyone hates seeing you know two-time 40 goal goal scorers who are 26 traded away that's always that's always bad news but you know, I, I think I think he's he's the piece. He he's the one that I, I think a lot of other stuff is is hinging on. And we've seen like we've seen some pretty serious movement on on him over the last over the last hours. So he's the one to watch.
0: Yeah, DeBrinket is a name to watch for sure. And I just noticed uh, Scott Powers from the Athletic in Chicago tweeting that the Blackhawks are listening on offers for Kirby Doc. The sense is. It would mm-hmm. have to be a top fifteen pick uh, to get them to really consider it. In- interesting. Vancouver does technically have a top fifteen pick at number fifteen <laughs> in this draft, but I, I, it's fascinating because, as you laid out, you know there are there are reasons for Chicago to consider trading De to despite his age, despite his production. But I do kind of look at it. You know, with De Brinkett on the block, we know Jacob Chikrin is out there now. Kirby Doc at, at only twenty one potentially could be had by a, a team looking to rebuild. In the Blackhawks, it feels like teams have really, you know, adjusted the age where, okay, if you're over mm-hmm. this age, we're going to get rid of you before we rebuild. You know, it used to be like, oh, yeah, you're 26. You can stick around for a rebuild. Now we're seeing 24-year-olds, potentially even younger than that, and teams are looking at it and saying, you know what, no, you're not going to be a part of our great, of our, our next great team. I- I, I I don't really know how to phrase this question, but I guess why why have teams kind of adjusted that perceived line for when they're going to kind of move on from players before a rebuild?
2: I mean, in the case of the Blackhawks, it's just because they they blew their last off season so badly. Like like Stan Bowman came in and made a and made a mess, made it a total wreck of it. You know before before he ended up you know rightfully losing his job during the season. Like that's that's how bad the Blackhawks biffed on last season. Is it? It's not even it's not even the fact that they're thinking about trading Alex to brink, to brink it. It's the fact that they should. That's what that's what's crazy. He, like like we he said, 26 40 goal sco- 40 goal scorer has one has one year left before UFA. Like why on earth, you know, if if you were a team that that had any a- any aspiration of winning hockey games in in the next few years, move him. I mean, it's just, it's just they they don't. I think the o- I think the other reason that you know this is happening is because it really does seem like teams are placing more they're placing more emphasis on acquiring players with years of team control. Like it, it seems like they're, I mean, obviously that's always a big thing, but it seems like that has even more value now than it did, you know, even say, even say a couple years ago. Right. So you, you see, if you see a guy like the who's got a year left, you see, you know, curb like Kirby doc, who's, who's at the end of his entry level deal. Like that just, that just boosts up their value, you know, to a, to a very, to a very real extent. And I, I think it's, I, and I don't think that was quite as, you know, drastic a situation a couple of years ago.
0: Uh, Sean, just before we let you go, the uh, the trade we saw go down today, as Dranser mentioned, was uh, Gorgiev to the Colorado Avalanche, which means Darcy Kemper uh, is going to be hitting the UFA market, at least all signs point towards that. Given the demand and the names that are on the market, I kind of feel like there's going to be some teams that in a year or two are really going to be regretting the goalie deals they sign in this free agency period. Do you get the same uh, sense of trepidation around that the goalie market that I do? <laughs>
2: me and me and just had just had, had lunch and we were just trying to spitball like like what teams even make sense to to go after Kemper. Right? It's going to be so, like someone's going to parachute in and they're going to say that he's a he's a goalie, you know, coming off a cup win. And he'll get like maybe not the Grubauer deal, but something, but something close enough to it. It just seems like, it just seems like that's going to happen. Yeah, people lose their mind over lose their minds over over goaltenders. It happened with Seattle last year. They gave they gave silly money to Grubauer and immediately and immediately regretted it. It's one of those things, man, where you just, you know, you would think that more GMs would learn their lessons about, <laughs> about, about 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 goaltenders, but like there's something about guys, especially when they're coming off playoff runs. Where it's like, well, maybe, like, maybe this is the guy that makes it that makes the six million, you know, the 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 six million average deal work out, and it's just not it's not a common thing, and and it, and you you would think people would learn to stay away from it, but no, it's it's not where we
0: are. <laughs> well, and it's just so it's so funny to phrase Welcome it to
1: Admonton, as. Welcome Edmonton,
0: Darcy Kemper. Yeah, but it, it's so funny to be like, he's looking for the Grubauer deal. It's like you mean the deal the yes. team instantly regretted and didn't work that out was- for them at all. Like they they need to come up with a different name for that.
2: Like you like you seriously you're you're gonna call that the group hour deal? Like like maybe we should find some find some different way to phrase it. Yeah,
0: they need a rebrand. The goalie the goalie guild needs a <laughs> rebrand on the on the uh, group hour deal for sure. Uh, Sean, I know it's a busy day. It's draft day. It's exciting. We'll let you go, but we really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the draft, and hopefully, we can connect again soon.
2: Always love talking to you guys. we'll do, we'll do it again soon.
0: That is Sean Gentili covers the Athletic for the NHL. You can also hear him on the Puck Soup podcast. You can uh, follow him at Sean Gentili on Twitter. Great follow on hockey Twitter if you're not already doing so. And yeah, lots to get into with that one. But the the news that came out or the report that came out from your colleague at the Athletic, Scott Powers, that the Blackhawks are listing on offers for Kirby Doc. The sense is it would have to be a top 15 pick. To get them to really consider it. And look, it is this is peak silly season, right? We're what? We're four hours away from the beginning of the NHL draft. This is when the reports and the rumors really fly fast and furious. But I know that got people's attention in our inbox. And yeah, man, Kirby Doc, that's an interesting name to be out there, Drancer. It's not. You don't like Kirby Doc?
1: No love for Kirby Doc. Wow. I don't think he's a center. I just don't think he's a center. I think he's a I think he's a big winger who's going to be like a really effective shutdown middle six option. But I don't think he's ever going to score enough to be a top line player. And I don't think he's a center. I just, I don't think he's got the awareness of the game. I think he's way better being instinctive along the wall. Uh, I've watched a lot of Kirby Doc. He's always left me cold. Um, just not a big fan. Like, I, I think, I think you make the pick at 15 rather than uh, take on a reclamation project if you're vancouver the
0: interesting thing with kirby doc is so obviously we've been talking a lot about guys from the 2019 uh, nhl entry draft with the uh capo caco discussion yesterday on the show eerily similar numbers for doc and caco right D- caco 157 games in the nhl 58 points doc 152 games in the nhl 59 points and that doesn't mean they're equivalent players or you have to like them the same or anything but it is interesting because doc's name came up and all of a sudden you know people on twitter and people in our text inbox are oh my goodness can the canucks go and get this guy uh and when Kako was floated as you know could be a centerpiece in a jt miller trade there was a lot of negative reaction to to that possibility based on the fact that he was a second overall pick who hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype uh right now the
1: well, and it's and it's funny because Doc is a guy who's had brutal underlying impacts but hasn't really gotten dinged for it. Like his his goal impacts are far better um than Kako's. Kako's had these really ugly goal impacts with far be- with a far better underlying profile. So, it's not a shock to me that people would value Doc ahead of Kako. They're looking at the results as opposed to their actual impact on the game. And typically speaking as, you know, we're talking about Third-year players who have played about two thousand minutes five-on-five five in the NHL to this point, so not huge samples um, of activity. But I'd bet over the last two th- over the next two thousand minutes, right, that Kako's results will more closely match his profile. Similarly, Doc's will, and perceptions going to flip. I-, I don't think there's any contest. I'd far rather have Kako than Doc. Not not close.
0: There you go. That's uh, that's a spicy take. I like it, Trancer. Uh, I like it. That- I- the I think it's obvious. I think there's a lot of people based on again the reaction we're seeing now. The thing that flips it or would flip it for me is if Doc can't stick at center, right? That that's that's the that's he's, the argument. That's the argument in Doc's center, favor.
1: I don't see him as the center anyway. I think also if um, Kako was just named like Koch, like C O K O C H, <laughs> and Doc was Daco, probably, probably completely a bunch different of would discussion. Have the reverse opinion, yeah.
0: 100%. <laughs> uh, we just got a couple minutes left here. We, we've gone over the JT Miller situation. We've gone over who the Canucks might be in line to pick at 15th, how the draft might unfold. Anything else that you think fans should be keeping an eye on, watching out for as it relates to the Canucks going into tonight's NHL entry draft?
1: Well, I can tell you this. I've, I've been checking in. Uh, I checked in with, uh, with some contacts, high-level team contacts, uh, just over the course of the past hour still seems quiet not to say that anything anything can happen at this time of year too um you have to be really careful assessing the information you get right everyone uh fibs around the draft so uh We'll see how it goes, but things still appear to be quiet based on my best intel for the Canucks on multiple fronts. Uh, We'll see how tonight unfolds. We'll see if, in fact, they can complete something larger, make a bigger splash. I do think there's a sense that they'd like to, but it takes two to tango. And and right now, right now, with the draft mere hours away, I'm still hearing quiet things surrounding Vancouver.
0: There you go. That is the latest from Thomas Drance as it relates to the Vancouver Canucks on NHL draft day. Of course, you'll be able to hear full coverage live of the NHL entry draft here on Sportsnet 650 on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Sachi Arshaw. You will hear it live when the Canucks make their pick at 15. And we'll have full coverage for you as well of rounds two through seven of the draft tomorrow. Keep it locked here on Sportsnet 650, the People's Show is up next with Bic Nazar and Randeep Janda on the home of the Canucks.